Welcome to the Husker 24-7 podcast. This is Brian Christopherson. I'm joined by Michael Brunts. We both got our headphones on. There's no Mike Schaefer yet this week. He's going to be back from assignment next week. Um, so we're looking forward to that. But uh, we we must trudge ahead. Our, our team is on the floor, Brunts, as they say in Hoosiers. Yeah, a, a very overrated Hoosiers. Um, but yes, if we, oh, we, must, we must soldier on. <laughs> Um, and, and, uh, continue in, in spite of Schaefer not being here. It's, uh, summer, summer, sometimes a little dodgy. We, we, we might start pulling some guests in, uh, whenever one or all are on vacation. So, um, yeah, but we, we're, uh, we, we've got a decent show set up here, I think. And maybe another wheel spin if, if the mood yeah. strikes. But you, nobody's listening now after that. <laughs> slam on Hoosiers. What was it? You didn't. You didn't feel Hackman so, sold the part as Norman Dale or Barbara Hershey went up to your acting standards or what? Yeah, the whole thing's a little overplayed. I mean, I I think that's that's it's a fine <laughs> movie. I don't think we need to elevate it to the level of movies like Blue Chips. Like I think it's it, it it's just it's good. I I just don't lose my crap over it to uh to take your line. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I'm going a little crazy right now. I'll admit the other day I had, have you ever had this happen where you have like a piece of a, like a couple notes of a song in your head or there, it's at like the edge of your brain, like a song from the past, but you can't think of the lyrics and you can't think of enough measures to like figure out which song it is. And for like two days this week, I spent at least an hour a day researching, trying to figure out this song. And I finally did. What song um, was have, it? You, have you ever had that happen? Uh, I don't know that I've ever gone that deep down a rabbit hole trying to find it out. But yes, and uh, I think everybody's dying to know what the song was that was on the edge of your mind. Yeah, it was. I'm actually looking for it right now. It was. Uh, what was the name of it? Okay, I'm looking because I tweeted it out. Actually, it was a '90s song. Oh, it's a song where uh, it's a wait, wait a minute. It's got like a trumpet. Uh, it's um, US three cantaloupe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Like that jazzy type song. Remember from the nineties? Yeah, I know. I know which one you're talking about. It was just good enough that you it got played, but not good enough that you would remember it like 15 years later. So that was in my head. So how much time did you take solving that mystery? probably two hours this week <laughs> i shouldn't be saying that out loud but probably two hours and then i was really kind of disappointed when i figured out the song it was like oh yeah that's the song and i listened to it once i was like yeah, it's okay and i just moved on with my day nice nice should we move we'll on move, with this on. Pod- move yeah. on with this podcast yeah, we should. <laughs> okay i get the point um let's talk some huskers and let's talk about uh you did a Friday Five list on uh, position groups that could basically were best equipped to overcome not having spring practices. Now, we, of course, don't know. Maybe they're going to get some extra practices thrown in here um, before fall camp and all that. Um, but you you made a good list, I thought, of the five position groups best equipped. But are there some guys who, when you look at the Husker roster, you're like, 
they're going to be damaged a little bit or they're going to have some work to do because they missed a spring. This is going to be tough. They've got to, they got to do a lot in the short amount of time. Are there any guys that come to mind when you think of that? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the list when I was pulling it together, I mean, you know, a, a team that hasn't been to a bowl game since 2016, you could say, well, nobody's fine with, with not having spring ball, which sure there's some truth to that. But for this exercise, I mean, I, I think, you know, even one of the groups that I had on there that I feel that will be fine in spite of not having the spring is the offensive line. It's a veteran group. I think that they have depth there for the first time in a long time. And, and not just, you know, guys that you you plug them in and you kind of the, the plug and pray a little bit, I guess, is the best way to put it. I mean, I, I think the, the guys that are going like- to be hurt the guys that are going to be hurting that group a little bit. I mean, Matt Farniak is one because they would love to have him at left guard. I mean, that that's the ideal. And he only got two practices, two unpadded practices of that. So, you know, the, the combination of knowing if he can do that also just getting him the reps there and kind of developing that chemistry with Brendan Hymas on the left side, he's not going to have that opportunity. And, you know, the, the other part of that, too, is you're assuming that the reason that they can move Farniok is that they feel good about Bryce Benhart. And Bryce Benhart's a guy who very he's big, he's a well thought of recruit, but he needs he needs some more work with that top unit for the same reason that Farniok needs work at guard. He needs to develop. Uh, chemistry with whomever that right guard is going to be uh, in the starting lineup this year, assuming that Ben Hart's your right tackle. And so, you know, I, I think those two guys, more than many uh, on the, the the offense, I think would have really benefited for, from a spring. Yeah, I those are those are good ones. I also think of uh, I think of like Ramir Johnson because uh, this spring was going to be basically, here's the ball, go, Ramirez. You get all these reps, you know, because they already know what Dedrick Mills can do, sort of. And you don't have Sevian Morrison or Marvin Scott the third here yet. And so it's really an opportunity. Not that he's still not going to have it, and he can't beat those guys out head-to-head, but he could have got a little jump start on them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where if he gets, he gets all that action, really impresses people, and heads into – summer and fall camp with a lot of momentum i think you could say the same for like jamie nance and demarion houston who i feel like needed really needed that spring to to get used to matt lubick and maybe show like where they fit into this equation before all the uh, help arrives same goes for alane brown i mean alane brown i know they really like but he uh you know he forfeited uh, some of his advantage because of the disruption of spring ball because it looked like he was going to really take off. So um, those wide receivers who are here, I feel like they kind of missed out. There's probably some guys on defense too. Like I feel like Travis Fisher is very close to believing a lot in Miles Farmer and Quinton Newsom, for example, and maybe a good spring puts them right there where he was fully. And, uh, you know, there's some other guys probably like Noah Pulley Gates and, and although he was a little dinged up, so maybe it will work to his benefit. Uh, but some guys like that who are kind of from that 2019 class, I think come to mind. Yeah. The, the other position that, you know, I, I think this rings true at is 
at outside linebacker. I mean, you've got JoJo Doman, um, but beyond that, I mean, you've got Caleb Tanner, who you would probably assume would be your your starter um, at that other outside linebacker spot. Maybe not. I mean, you know, he he's been a guy that is kind of getting close to now or never territory a little bit, where you know he needs to win that starting job. You, you've got Jameen Graham, uh, Blaze Gunnerson had enrolled early. I mean, it, you've got a new coach, new to those guys, coach and, and Mike Dawson. And, you know, that, that finding a starter, I think, at, at that other spot opposite of Doman was going to be really important because you, you've had pretty ineffective outside linebacker play, uh, you know, outside of maybe Luke Gifford the last few years. So, you're not going to have that opportunity to kind of sift through the pile a little bit. You're going to be adding more guys to the mix, you know, this spring or this fall. But uh, that's another spot where I think you you would have probably benefited from just the the extra time to teach and just kind of getting a a little bit more of a, a sense of what you've got with that group. You know, another name that comes to mind now is, as you were talking, I was King Green, um, who, Last year when he got here, he got here late, so he had to fight all through the fall just to get in shape, basically, to play at this level. And he did in the offseason because he went from, I think Tony Tuioti in March said he went from like 330-something to, two. he was in the 290s actually for a while, and then he had bounced back up a little bit to a little over 300 when spring ball started. But he was in good shape. Eric Chenander really praised uh, what he had done with his body, yet you still realized he had room to go to work his way into the rotation because when Tuioti named the names off, he named about six guys, and Jordan Riley, in fact, was one of those guys I think that they're starting to count on. Um, Damian Daniels, obviously. But Keem Green, it felt like to me, listening to the coaches, had a huge spring ahead where he needed to put himself in that group of six to seven to eight guys where, yeah, you're going to be part of it. And so um, I don't know, you know, he's he's going to have to do a lot of work in a little time now to to work his way back. And those I worry about those big guys a little bit when they had to, when they didn't have the normal training table set up and all that stuff. Are they going to be able to maintain the weight work they had done, like Damian Daniels and Keem Green? That's a big question for those guys. Yeah, no, and, and you know, the – your point about Keem Green, I think, is an important one. I mean, Tony Tuioti's. I think I asked him. I said, you know, how many how many guys do you feel comfortable playing right now? And he named them off, and Keem Green wasn't one of them. Um, and and I, I think, I don't think it's physical with him anymore. I think it's more understanding his role, uh, understanding kind of where he fits in the defense as a whole. And you know that that that's definitely a guy that would have benefited. I mean, I, I think. The other area that you don't even have to say one one particular player, the whole the entire special teams unit needed spring ball. I mean, with the new guy coming in and coordinating that, Jonathan Rutledge, you have pretty much all new guys outside of William Pristup and Grant Devlinson and uh, the kid from Carney whose name escapes me, uh, Gabe Hines. Um, you kind of needed, I think, th- those fifteen. 14 practices to just kind of install what you want to do uh, to give guys some, some pressure situations to kick in and see how they handle it. And, you know, it, I would be interested. We'll never know, but 
you know, would would they have been aggress as aggressive with adding guys in the in the off season as they would as they are on special teams now if they would have had a better idea of maybe what they've got? We don't know. I mean, I think they're wanting to really increase uh, competition there, but that's something I've thought about. Is you know, I, I'm not really knowing for sure. I think you kind of have to hedge your bets a little bit with some of the guys they brought in. That's a good point. And we don't want to make this all woe is me for Nebraska. I mean, everybody's dealing with a, a weird circumstance here. So that's going to be fascinating. Just like, is, I think you're going to see some programs who people weren't as expecting as much under normal circumstances who rise up in this and you, maybe some who drop off just to, in how their athletes and the people around it handle this deal. Um, so that's going to be interesting. But it is for Nebraska, and it's partly their own fault because they didn't make a bowl game. When you think about it like this, from December 1st to basically April 15th or whatever, they should have had 30 practices between the bowl games and spring ball. And they had two because they didn't get their 15. And then they got two non-padded practices in in the spring before the disruption. Obviously, they can't help the latter part, but the first part they could have. And so, yeah, this is a team that has not been on the field hardly at all in uh, a long time. And uh, so that is a concern. Nonetheless, before we head to break, uh, another thought we were going to have is, um, are there some guys, Brunts, who you look at and you think they're about to break through the surface? You know, that, that this is a guy that maybe we're not – his time is going to come here. It may be bigger than some people expect. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of piecing something together for the site this weekend about, you know, 10 guys that we consider to be, you know, major breakout candidates for Nebraska in, t- in 2020. I, I think you hit on one of them. I, I think Miles Farmer is a guy that, you know, just has a ton of potential to be th- that that guy that you kind of that kind of comes out of nowhere. Or, you know, you, you look back and you say, wow, you know, this guy's who's this guy? You know, I, I think, you know, within the program, there's a lot of excitement about him. I think on this podcast, we've talked probably till we're blue in the face about how he was a guy that I, I think, I think the staff thought that he was much better than maybe what his, uh, the, the hype around him was, or his recruiting process was. I think they, they felt a little bit like they got a steal on him. Um, and you know that you, you've got some depth coming back in the secondary with Dismuke and Deontay Williams, but I, like you said, I mean, I think he's a guy that Travis Fisher really, really likes. I think that Eric Chenander really, really likes, and I think he's going to have a chance to really show what he can do uh, this season uh, in, in that secondary. Yeah, he's a good one. I think in the secondary, Quinton Newsom, that the the contest between him and Braxton Clark. I think is going to be really interesting. Um, someone's going to have to get ahead of the other one, and I, I feel like it's going to be a pretty even fight because um, Travis Fisher likes both of them. So that that's a guy that I would watch. It's not like he's a surprise anymore because he was kind of a fun walk-on story last year. But Luke Reimer, I feel like somehow, some way, is going to have a say in things, whether that's being one of the first guys in at middle backer and he can work himself into that level or if he's just like a special teams demon or something who's like a fan favorite he's just he's just popped on the scene too much and shown too much skill for me to think that that's a guy who's going to be held down I mean even in the peers 
like his peers, the way they talk about him, like Cam Taylor Britt, I remember had that quote, like, well, he's going to be on scholarship soon. I can tell you that. Um, and then when he got in against Maryland, I know it was late in the game and Nebraska was kicking their tail and Maryland wasn't very good last year, but he makes it a play immediately. And he's just like, I mean, he's, he's kind of been that guy. Um, I think, uh, on that defensive line, Ty Robinson's that obvious name sort of because he gets talked about a lot. I got an eye on Casey Rogers. I, I, I still haven't given up on Casey Rogers. I, I thought last spring, like in the spring game, he was one of the more impressive defensive linemen. And I thought he might take off even a little more last year. And so I'm, I'm pretty interested to see what he does coming out of this whole thing. So I'm, I'm, I might bend the rules a little bit with a breakout, but okay. is does Cam Jurgens apply? In this category, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's obviously been he's been hyped to to all get out. I mean, you have when you've got coaches, you know, saying he's the next Dave Remington. There's not much more you can do hype wise as a center. But I mean, this is a guy that, you know, middle of the season last year, people were calling for his replacement. His snap issues were significantly throwing off the offense and timing and uh, that sort of thing. But. He got those under control. He seemed he seemed like a completely different player by the end of the season to where, you know, he was he was blended in. And I think as a center, that's kind of what you want. I mean, he, it, you're not you don't want to be quite as anonymous as a long snapper or a holder or something like that, but you don't want people to really notice uh, you know, what you're doing. And and I, I think with another year of of just being comfortable, confident, Another year of getting used to the weight that he added, and I, I think too, just uh, just mentally, the fact that he had good games under his belt, I feel like he's ready to make that next step. And I, I think, you know, as much as we talk about the offensive line and and the you know what returns and all this other stuff, it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but he seems like a little bit of an afterthought with that group. Is is that fair to say? Do you think? Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I'd say he's an afterthought, but I, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, there definitely is room for him to break out. I think by definition he could apply on the list because he, he had worked himself from really struggling to being okay at the end of last year, and I feel like coaches feel like now he is in position to go from being okay to being something really, really good, and if he is. Nebraska's whole offense, I think, is going to look a lot different in part because of that one change. I felt like it was starting to look different in November because he had changed his game and started to figure things out. And I think what we sometimes forget is Cam had that injury all the way through fall camp. And remember when it was like a week before the opener, Scott Frost had that line at a press conference where he's like, well, Cam will be number one on the depth chart when it comes out next week. And Mm -hmm. we're all like, oh. (laughs) because <laughs> like everybody was I think I don't I think that was not even a deal I think it caught everybody a little off guard because I think people thought well Cam will get back into the mix in a few weeks they're working him back in it's going to be Farnia or something and so Craig Austin made the point in March that if Cam had not had that injury and missed all that time I think he would have saw him play better by like week three or four as opposed to like week seven you know, or eight. And so it took an extra four weeks or so in the season probably for him to get going. 
because he was getting up to speed. So that's something that's important to remember with him. Definitely. Is there anybody, anybody else you think of? You know, I, I, I try to think of somebody at wide receiver that, that would make sense there. I mean, maybe do we see a, a more complete season from Cade Warner? I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that there's anybody that's on campus right now who I would say is, you know, that, that I would bet on, you know, taking that next step just because Nance, Houston, those guys are such unknowns right now. Um, I I don't know, I, I, and that's kind of where I was pulling this thing together. I was kind of stubbing my toe a little bit because I didn't want to just go all redshirt freshman heavy because that's kind of an obvious thing. Yeah, I think Cade could apply. I mean, he he had two, he had multiple injuries last year, and I'm not going to say them specifically because I forget what each one was. But he was coming back from the first one, and then he suffered another setback, and so basically we didn't see him till the very end of the season and I've always felt like when he was on the field he I mean he's not he's going to necessarily change the game for you but he's going to be an, a solid guy who gives you a person in the rotation uh who a quarterback can count on he knows the offense as well as anybody so I, I could see him I could see also one of the middle linebackers on the other side of the ball um making that step I don't know which one it is I think Honus starting to come more into form at the end of the year and um another guy it's easy to forget he suffered a pretty serious injury just you know a year and a half ago and so this is his second full season back and he's got one season left and uh Barrett Root has always really liked him he handpicked him as a recruit in the first class for this staff so I could see uh, I could see Honus being better than some people think this year okay that's a that's a good list. We'll uh, we'll have a complete list uh, over the weekend on uh, on the site. So be sure to check that out. Should we take a break? I, yes. I think I might need to uh, hit some orange slices here for a minute. All right, let's do it. Capri Suns and orange slices. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to the Husker 24-7 podcast. Brunts was hogging the orange. Um, didn't really appreciate that. I thought he'd share the slices a little bit more than he did, but he, he didn't. I, I did that half, you know, the, like the half moon ma- fake mouth guard thing you used to yeah, do. Yeah, I love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> did one of those. It's also how the the, the godfather dies, right? Doesn't he? Yes. He, when he's like, he puts the oranges in the mouth and he's in the garden. Yeah. Ooh, 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 like that. 
He's like spraying bugs, right? He's got the, the yeah. canister out there. The kids running around. That's why people, it's part of the great parts of the movie. You know, they have this great figure who's so daunting and has ownership over so many things. And he just dies spraying bugs in his garden with an orange slice in his mouth. Yeah. Anyway, let's move to football. What, what, do we have a wheel topic? Are you going to spin it? I can spin it. The, we're a little light on wheel topics. Um, so I'll give it a spin here, and we'll see what we can come up with. Man, you sounded so dejected to spin the wheel. <laughs> we've, we've been leaning on the wheel a lot in uh, COVID, and it's been kind of tough to, All right. to keep, uh, to keep this one, up. Spin it one more time, and then we'll, uh, we'll get the WD-40 on it and let it All rest right. for a while. All right, there it goes. So... I put a couple new ones on here. We'll see what we've got to come up with. I, I, I got one one that I think will land on football and one one maybe not. So I know why you're like this. It's why? because the engraving work is so difficult that it's, you you need some time. It's been taxing it's been yeah. taxing to keep up with the demand. I understand it's, that. It's like we're playing a British Open every other day this this week. <laughs> oh it's uh, oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> Brian. If you could make a sequel of any sports movie, what would it be? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, sequel of any sports movie. We know you're down on the Hoosiers. Um, do you have one? Do you have one in your head? I do. And it Go was, for it. Well, I, I, think, I think the world needs a Blue Chips, too. You love uh, Blue Chips. And, and it's... <laughs> The reason being, I mean, so you you have this program come, a, a legendary coach, a program comes crumbling down around him, and I know that at the end of, um, I think at the end of the movie, don't they they give like the the fake what happened to this guy thing, mm-hmm. and I think we need to revisit, like obviously enough time has passed that it would be difficult, but I I think we need to revisit what happened to these guys. Uh, you know, five years, ten years down the road. I think, I think a really cheesy one would be to have Pete Bell, you know, show up in the NBA or some small town uh, college basketball program. And I, I don't know what the hook would be, but maybe he, he starts getting kind of shady at, at some NAIA school in the Midwest. Um, but I, I think I would love to see a uh, a sequel to Blue Chips. Okay, that one that one makes sense because, like, you can't say a classic sports movie because people would get so offended. Like, if you took another run, at, if if Field of Dreams, if the he he starts to go under financially because he had this ridiculous idea to build a ball field in his farm and and he's struggling because of it. Like, you couldn't do that. I suppose people wouldn't take that. Um, a lot of these sports movies they tie up so nicely too like remember the titans you've got this nice little ending scene i mean you could have like people who are in them come back and coach like 20 years later i guess but i'm struggling like a varsity blues too Do you have one another uh, um, my answer can you can you write on my paper the, <laughs> can you the, write my is... essay for me <laughs> well I think I'm trying to think of a uh, like. Could you do like a ten cup two? Like, 
I, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of other ones. I, I I don't know. I mean, I I had mine. I had my I had my yeah. answer. You selfish. You had. He's like, I got an answer. Watch these guys. Watch him squirm while he tries to come up with something. It's exceeded. You get like a sec a replacements number two, like where you get <laughs> Shane Falco comes back um, and, and and actually plays legitimately and not just as a uh, a scab. You could do that, where yeah, he actually earns his respect through like an XFL type league. Um, you know, where you, he's that good, sort of Kurt Warner style, you know, like you build yourself up to the arena league and, and you're a, a great athlete and you're suddenly playing in the NFL. Did they, did they kind of do that with that guy from the Philadelphia Eagles, Invincible or whatever? I never watched that movie. Did you? Yeah, I did not. I know what you're talking about though. What, what if you had like a miss, uh, was it Mr. Baseball? Was that the one with, uh. Tom Selleck, where <laughs> yeah. he goes and plays in Japan. They could do like a COVID yes. version where he has to go play in Korea. That would actually be pretty good. Except we should start working on that script right now, actually. The, the, I, I went down a rabbit hole the other day. Would you believe that Tom Selleck is 75 years old? Yeah, I would. Because I actually, uh, I, w- I happened to watch an episode of Magnum P.I. last week for the first time in like 20 years. And I was distraught by how uncool Tom Selleck was. Like, I thought he was so in control. I think I may have even said this on the podcast before, but he was just kind of a bumbling dork who they, obviously the women loved him back then. Tom Selleck was sort of a sex symbol, I believe. Not so there was, Not sort yeah, of. He had a stash, and there's a scene where they have him walking around in like short, kind of 80s shorts, no shirt, and he's it's just like a little too long and then higgins is figuring out all that remember higgins he was on the show he's figuring out all the problems but tom Selleck uh and magnum pi not as good as i thought i gave him way too much credit as a kid just because he wore that detroit tigers baseball cap yeah that's fair he he's 75 years old he's like the same age as like robert de niro yeah which doesn't seem right that like doesn't in my head that does not compute he gave us mr baseball though did you had one more question i think um, on a more serious topic about what we would do if... Yeah, here's here's your, your other quick spin. It stopped. Okay. So if you, were, if you were the college football czar for a day, how would you make the scheduling work to, to, to make this, all this COVID stuff happen? Assuming, assuming that there is, it's not a standard season. Like it's going to be changed somehow. How would you make it work? It has to be changed. Um, first off, I'd say I'm the stuff I haven't read enough about on that I'm interested in is I always hear these people say, well, just play the conference season. You know, it's sort of like that's the easy answer. Everybody's localized, which isn't even true in the Big Ten. Everybody's far away from each other anyway. But isn't that going to bankrupt some of these schools? Am I being too simplistic about it? Some of these like, you know, like mid-major type programs, don't they need the big boys to us all to suck it up somehow? And I understand the consequences, but and play some of these games so that they can handle their finances. They do. And I, I, I think the, Maybe not the official response from conferences like the SEC and the Big Ten would be, 
we don't care. Like, yeah. like I, I think that's, I mean, a little harsh maybe, but I, I think, you know, every conference is kind of looking out for themselves right now. And yeah, I mean, that's a huge question that you have to figure out is if you just punt those non-con games, how does that work? I think that you're probably going to, you know, a, a lot of lawyers are probably going to make a lot of money trying to figure out, you know, how they can recoup that money and all that other stuff. But, you know, I, my understanding is, is that for these non-conference basketball games, there's already pretty specific language being written in for non for these buy games about under what circumstances teams get paid, what they get paid for, and what they don't get paid for. So, yeah, I mean that that's a huge thing. I mean, I, you know me, I you know I love Mountain West football as much as anybody, but that's a huge concern for those programs. I think is if you don't have those buy games, how do you make that work financially? I, I guess my answer, if I have to make changes, is that you're playing the conference schedule, you're, but you're going to play um, ten game, a 10-game season maybe. Like one, maybe one non-con game that is sort of localized. Like Nebraska could play – South Dakota State is up for it. You could play that game. Wouldn't hurt South Dakota State too much. They'd get their money, and uh, I see an abbreviated type season in my college football czar brain, where it's basically a ten-game schedule. I would start it almost on time and try to end it earlier. That's what I would do, and I could be wrong on the dates. I'm no expert on this subject, but I would I would actually start it around when it's supposed to, and you know how a lot of schools now are setting up their calendar where they're going to basically their semester is going to end around Thanksgiving. I, yep. I would, I would end the season even maybe prior to that. And I don't, I don't know what you do with the postseason. And I don't, this is, we have to get our heads around the idea. And this is weird in sports that in some of these cases this year, it doesn't matter who the champion is, you know, like we love to declare a champion, and say they're number one and all this and have our playoff and all this thing. I think you have to understand what's really being done here is they need this money, a TV contract and all this stuff. They need to play these games. But I don't know that it's the end all be all that we figure out who the top five teams are in the country or top four teams at the end of the year. I don't. Um, so I, I would have a, a 10 game schedule. Maybe you have a conference championship and maybe that's where it ends. I, I could see that being a possibility. Of course, a lot of this depends on what the, what the everything's looking like even a month or two from now. We don't know yet. Yeah. I, I, I would lean more towards a, a conference, a, a conference only thing. Like I think, I think if you're the Big Ten, I think you got to make sure that you're you're taking care of your your business first. I think, you know, the the guys on 1620 raised this question to me this week, and I, it, it's an interesting one. The way the Big Ten is currently s- split up, I mean, what if you played a home and home series with within the conferences? Like you played Minnesota twice, you played Iowa twice, you played Illinois twice, you played Purdue twice. And did that to get to your regular season total. And then, I mean, maybe you play a conference title game, uh, you know, just to, to figure out who your champion is. But 
that was an idea that I hadn't really considered until they brought it up. And I think it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, (laughs) getting, let's say you get like Minnesota at the start and the beginning of the season. I mean, that that's kind of tough to wrap your head. It's almost like an NFL approach a little bit there, but people um, would enjoy it. I mean, it would be fun to watch. It would, it would presumably cut down on travel time for fans. If they, if there are fans, um, you know, it allows you to make sure you're getting games in. Uh, you know, at that point, I even wonder if, like, let's say you're, you know, the the commissioner of the Big Ten or the SEC, then you go back to your TV partners and say, look, you know, you're not getting nine conference games now. You're getting 12 for every team. We need a little bit more money for that, like, to potentially offset you know, what you're losing by only having 20,000, 30,000 fans in the stadium if that's, you know, what you're going to have according to at least what Ohio state's saying. But, uh, that that's one that came up this week that I was moderately intrigued by, but I, I'm like you, I mean, I think I would be surprised if we have every bowl game, uh, on the slate, like you normally do. Like, I, I don't think that as much as I love the Bahamas bowl and I love the, uh, the cheese, it's bowl. Um, you know, I just think that, uh, you, you might not have it this year just based on kind of the schedules that everybody's looking at. But well, also, how well would those bulls do financially? It's already sometimes a struggle, um, you know, to get people there. And there's not going to be anybody traveling to watch the Cheez-It Bowl right now, I don't think. You know, maybe a few people, but it's it's going to be such such small crowds. You're not going to get a lot of tourism out of it, I don't think. Um, so it doesn't, I could see where you still have a bowl structure. That's basically your New York, your new year six bowls and maybe a couple others that are viewed as sort of high up on the radar screen and, and that's it. And I can live with that. Like if it, that I've, I've already come to grips with it. If they play any football, that's good. And, um, deciding who's number one, isn't, necessarily the number the big objective here this year you could still do it i guess you could still have a top four and play it out um and and i think they might do that but uh i i expect an abbreviated season that's that's what i would do i would have like a 10 game season i would maybe allow one non-con game that you could work out but that could get tricky too because everybody's going to be maneuvering their schedules and I get what you're saying the Big Ten and some of these conferences might just say we're not opening ourselves up to any sort of legal ease or anything with anybody else everything is within our us we're we're playing each other and that's it this year yeah and I I'm, could see that being what they do well I think especially for for conferences that are kind of spread over a large geographic area thinking the Big Ten the ACC you know, probably I mean, I guess everybody that's a, a major, you know, conference right now. But I mean, I I think that's that's one way to kind of make sure that you're, you know, getting everything taken care of. The idea the guys had on the show, I mean, that playing your division guys twice works perfectly in the Big Ten. I mean, it's cool, and it would satisfy. Um, it would satisfy the hunger to like have it have purpose toward winning a championship because you could still you could play out you're just in a little league you know you, you play at your 
side you win your division, you could still even, I guess, have the conference title game if you wanted to with the East side and settle it. Yeah. Yep. I, I don't know if that was their idea or if I, I haven't seen that written about too much, but I thought it was uh, intriguing at least. Well, we're going to learn a lot more. I mean, there's promising stuff as far as those who want football that's happening. The SEC today announced that they're coming back with their workouts uh, June 8th. Big 10, I think, is pointed toward a similar timetable. Illinois is already, as we do this podcast, released that they're you know, uh, coming back uh, around that time. And I think Nebraska, from everything we've heard, is well-positioned uh, to strike when they get the green light and get kids and even get the newcomers in here pretty early into June. Yeah. Um, so that's, I, we're headed toward, uh, some, some interesting headlines and, uh, stuff we've never seen before. Anything else, Bruns? That's all I got. Get us out of here. All right. Well, I will get us out of here. Thanks for listening to the Husker 24 seven podcast. Uh, come back to the site. We'll have plenty of stuff. As we said, there's a, there's a lot of news that's going to happen and it's, it's, Honestly, it's it's really just getting interesting right now. So uh, come back to Husker 24-7 for all the latest. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.